Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us here on an overcast day in a very deserted city of Westminster as once again we put the topic of leadership under the microscope. I'm Scott Challender and I'm joined on today's programme by Debbie Perry. Debbie is the CEO of Ballinor Property Management, a holding company for property management services. Debbie, welcome to the programme. Great to have you on the air with us today. Thank you, and thank you for inviting me. It's an absolute pleasure having you here, Debbie. Now, the purpose of this podcast, first and foremost, is to gather a variety of different perspectives on leadership. But what I want to really get an idea of first is what that word leader actually means to you. Well, it means, a leader means to me is is about um, um, being a strong leadership because being a strong leadership inspires morale amongst employees and I think that's important for the growth of of the business. And how would you describe your own leadership style within the business? Um, My own leadership style is I put together sort of a a mission statements, objectives, action plans and goals of the company um, for for me to be able to then lead the workforce. Mm. And is, are there any examples perhaps of leaders throughout your life and your career that have maybe inspired you or had an influence on that leadership style that you've implemented? Yeah, I think the, I think um, what's inspired me is by um, going to um, networking meetings and listening to other people and their ideas and the way they lead. And it, it sort of spurred me on to, uh, to proceed in the same way and gave me the confidence in the way I was going, going was in fact the correct way. So uh, because obviously with leadership and having your own business, the employees have themselves to come to, mm. but I don't, ha- I don't have anyone above me to go to to see if what I'm doing is correct. So sort of interacting with other business owners, um, it helps us as well. Yeah, exactly. It can feel a little bit of a lonely world being a business leader at times, can't it? Because there's that pressure to sort of, you're at the top, you have to have all of the answers. But ultimately, as human beings, we do have our own limitations, don't we? And remembering that is also important. And it's good, therefore, to, as you say, surround yourself with other people in the same boat who can really sort of get the best out of you and vice versa as well. Yes, exactly. Because it's like I say to me, uh, my employees is uh you know nobody nobody's perfect and even even myself could make can make mistakes you know so uh and i think that's why they have no problems in coming to me to ask you know because they realize that i'm human as well <laughs> do you think it's actually possible to be a good leader without going through that experience of trying things making mistakes and learning from them because it's important that isn't it Oh, yes, it's very important that, yes, it's very important. And in terms of great leaders themselves, do you think that it is something that you can be taught and pick up and learn as you develop through your career? Or is it something that certain people are born with, do you think? I think it's, I think we're, we're partially born with it, but I think, I think a lot of it is through um, it is through gaining experience by listening and looking at other other leaders um, because everyone has their everyone has their different ways of leading and um, when you listen to other leadership that 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 part 
could sort of work for you or it works better than what you was leading in the first place. So I, I think it's uh, I think it does help getting getting sort of like help from other leaders. Mm, absolutely. Um, um, I think you're right there. Because hmm, I think when you start off, you know, because I mean, I've always worked, but I've never had my own business before. So obviously starting out on my own, it was a big learning curve as well. So that's why I uh, I listened to a lot of leaders to get to sort of get the, get the trust and uh, the best way forward. So you, of course, obviously had working experience before you decided to take the plunge and um, go about running your own business. So what would you say um, it was that made you think that you would want to end up in a position of leadership yourself? What do you think was the turning point? I think the turning point was the previous the previous company I worked with. I've always worked in the property management industry, and then um, they they were the company I worked for were bought out and um, new sort of like um, new senior management um, came in and they sort of changed the ethos and that of the company, which I didn't sort of quietly agree with. And that's when I decided to uh, to go separately and go alone. It's quite interesting because um, you mentioned earlier this idea of looking at different forms of leadership and essentially picking out the good and the bad and then using that to improve your own leadership style. And I can imagine that that experience of um, seeing how they wanted to go about doing things down this new pathway was quite um, an interesting learning curve for you as well. You sort of took the positives and the negatives from that and then use that sort of springboard into your own leadership journey. Yes, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, you know, you took, you sort of took, uh, you took with you what you felt worked, and uh, took out what you thought was a negative. So yeah, so you took with you the positive. Um, it started off on my own at first in the business, so it gave me a chance to sort of build it up a bit, and then I gradually sort of employing members of staff. But by the time I've sort of like employed, started employing members of staff. I sort of knew where I was going with the leadership. So it was quite good, really, going out on my own rather than employing straight away. It, then I think it would have been more like blind leading the blind. And we've talked about learning curves um, in that sense um, already and how it's um, imperative to essentially have experience of uh, learning um, on the job as well and trying things, making mistakes, learning from them. Um, do you think, therefore, mm. that failure is something that we should be embracing as leaders as opposed to avoid, avoid, avoid? Yes, yes. Sometimes, sometimes if you fail, it doesn't, it doesn't, the word doesn't necessarily mean you fail. I think sometimes you look to see why and to improve on it. And sometimes that failure makes you stronger. Um, I mean, I mean, you know, like a few of the tenders we put in for, I wasn't successful. And um, I beat myself, up, beat myself up on it and thought I failed. But then I stopped and thought to myself, why did I fail on it? And when I looked into it, I improved it going forward and then I was successful. So, you know, it does. I think it does make you stronger. It makes you, makes you pick yourself up and think, no, I will carry on. And that resilience, that ability to adapt, as it were, is an important message that the next generation of emerging leaders, particularly younger generations, should definitely take heed of going forward, isn't it? Yes. Yes, exactly. Because if you if you fail in some things and give up, there's 
you know, there's no lesson for um, the next generation, like you say, because they just think if they wasn't successful, that's it. You know, why, why carry on? So um, you've got to sort of, you've got to fail sometimes along life to uh, to make yourself stronger going forward. Mm, exactly right. And um, we're seeing that very much in the current situation uh, with COVID-19, aren't we? We're seeing um, mm. lots of stories of the best in people being brought out by times of difficulty and times of crisis. And you find that you yeah. learn more in the tougher times than you do when things are going well. Exactly. That is exactly true. I've certainly have learned a lot through the COVID-19 and it's certainly been an eye opener as well. So, um, yeah, it's exactly like you say. And um, in terms of the way that we do business going forward, um, you, you hear it said quite a lot that it will fundamentally change quite a lot of things, uh, this whole situation. Is that something that you can envision happening as well, the way that we, um, of course, work and the way that we collaborate, um, fundamental changes are coming about there? Well, at Touchwood at the moment, we're not, it's not, the COVID-19 has not affected the company so much because the, the staff are set up to uh, work from home, mm-hmm. even sort of like answering the office telephones and emails and that. I mean, the only thing going forward that you can see is why, why you know, we've coped well all this, all this time working from home. And it just makes you wonder why you pay for big premises when it's could it work going, working from home going forward? Do you need uh, big office premises and paying rent and business rates, etc.? You know, so that could be something you might need to look at going forward. I think um, you're absolutely right there. I think a lot of businesses will be uh, looking at the uh, the books at this point in time and um, deciding yeah. whether or not mm-hmm. to essentially cut their losses uh, with that. Because if everything is um, working as well as it should be at the moment, working remotely, then why need, of course, that sort of central premises? Um, have you found it sort of quite um, easy to sort of maintain contact with your own employees throughout this time and that they are, of course, going about their business as normal and it's been a successful time? Yes, we we have um, video calls every morning, and at the end of every day, um, we have updates. We update all we we all update each other what what's happened through the day, and um, and then obviously I we video call in the morning if there's anything that I need them to do or what I want them to focus on. Um, so yeah, I mean it's um, I am very lucky to say and very fortunate that I can say this that. I have very good, reliable staff. Um, you know, they all they say they're at home working. They are at home working, you know. they uh, And if they haven't got anything to do or if it goes quiet, they do message me and ask me, is there anything I would like them to do? So I'm, I'm very fortunate in that way. It's really, really good to hear. And um, it's it's important as well um, from a leadership perspective, maintaining that communication and that sort of close-knit community sort yeah. of feel, isn't it? Especially with everybody working from a distance. Yeah, yeah. And I think the, I think that, uh, I think I feel as well that if you look after your staff, your staff look after you and, they certainly, and that's proven that they have during the COVID-19. Exactly. It comes back to that key word, humility, doesn't it, as a leader, um, all of yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, and and also the leadership I've seen I've sort of shown to the staff as well that 
there's no job that I won't do, you know. I will make coffee, I will empty the office bins um, just because I'm an owner of, of a company. I will speak to anyone who rings up, you know. I answer the phone like they would, you know, like, you know, Ballinor Property Management, good morning, good afternoon. And I would help them with their query instead of passing them on to a colleague, you know. And, and I think the staff see that, that I'm not just, you know, do you know who I am? I'm a director of a company, so to speak. They, they'll see that I'll get my hands dirty as well. It's very much that lead by example sort of approach, isn't it? As opposed to being yeah. accessible, being draconian and sticking your head above the parapet kind of approach for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And exactly. if we think um, about um, certainly the uh, the future um, for the company um, as well um, here, Debbie, before um, I do uh, let you go today, um, do let me know um, what you imagine the next 12 months holds for yourself and for Ballinor and what you really hope to achieve collectively in that time, especially in navigating the current situation and then emerging from the other side of the pandemic. Yeah, well, I, I would hopefully, I would, the most thing I would like is in 12 months time um, to still to, to still be as we are, to still operate as we are. And if in that 12 months we grow a bit more, then it'll be a bonus. But I would rather sort of be exactly where we are in 12 months' time rather than not having Ballinor at all. Exactly. There is a lot of uncertainty um, at the moment uh, for certain, so it is difficult mm. to uh, map out the long term. But I think... Um, yeah. It's also testing the ability of businesses to be reactive in the short term, change, um, of course, approach according to changing guidelines and changing circumstances. And it comes back to that whole adaptability again, doesn't it? That Yes. Yeah. And it's also working with your clients at this, at this um, uh, during this hard time of COVID-19 because a lot of people, they have their um, service charges to pay each year, mm. you know, for their for the services and you know, some people ring up and saying they've got problems at the moment and we, we help them rather than saying you've got to pay, we try and help them to work out it's something that they can afford going forward. And uh, I think that will help as well because if you've seen helping them through the hard time, when they get through it, they'll, they'll want to remain with you because you you help them get through it. Exactly. And I think we'll start seeing some more light shed on um the situation for the uh, the wider industry over the next few months and what I think would be fantastic um, Debbie and when that time does come um, in a few months time when we start to see the fog lifting as it were is if perhaps mm. we could have you back on the program and look at this retrospectively just to catch up on how the business is doing and maybe even discuss some how the clients have been finding it as well um, but for now um, I have to say it's been a thoroughly insightful experience and also really really enjoyable having you on the program today thank you so much for taking the time to come on the air and speak with me today. No, thank you for taking the time speaking with me. It was, uh, it was very enjoyable. It's been absolutely fantastic, Debbie, and thank you again. That was Debbie Perry, Lovely. CEO of Ballinor Property Management. Um, coming up next on today's programme, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 Football World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst.
Um, so Jeff is a former professional footballer, a striker, and as well as scoring um, over 200 goals um, during his career in the league for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City, he remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a football World Cup. That came after his treble in England's 4-2 win over West Germany at the old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago. Um, I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Sir Jeff. And that's coming up next. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final. Sir Jeff Hurst, uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and... um, yes, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players and of course they become your friends who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself was it more was it Peters I think probably well I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did again mm-hmm. again extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as Martin's concerned I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence 
uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Moore. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier and played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction, people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved with my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge when it came to managing that England team what was his style like Jeff well one thing the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person um, mm. naturally it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life but yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years he it was quite clear who was the boss he was quite very very strict probably at a time maybe overly strict but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now but he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learnt over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly... Um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that, that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that 
it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final and it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back into him because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think Mm. I was just happy to be, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, Not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out, out. So I never really felt people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again the leadership that I'll show you, you got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we had some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, "Oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch." <laughs> so that's uh, 
I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke and make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot in the ball and waited to just have a, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with too. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Lines, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can think, tell you if you want. You've want, you got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. On this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is, uh, well, uh, and we, that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, laugh that day. If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of the fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... Yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, um, well, it, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches. People must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact. The younger players coming in into the team latterly, um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with? Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a, a player, current player, as you mean. 
hope players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding, I think the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is, is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who's just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, the answer is straightforward. Answer is yes. Um, That's a they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we we're successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And going back from an earlier earlier question for me, the um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't I'm... when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. 
there was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. The word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly. Uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness dedication, dedication to the job, um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership, all the time it's a huge part of your life but it, you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level you may you know have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation, and I think that's you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.